Hello, I'm Abigail James. Welcome to Knowing Me, Glowing You, the podcast that celebrates life's unique journeys. I want to inspire you wherever you are in your life, whether that be aging, career, family, or more internal goals of self-discovery. Each week, I will be chatting to different experts, shining a light on their knowledge and own unique journeys. Today's guest is the lovely Alex Light. As anyone will know who's been in the grip of an eating disorder, when people tell you that you look too thin, it's a compliment. It feels like a compliment, you know. It's not like it might. It's probably not intended as a compliment, but that's how you take it because you've been desperate for thinness above all else, and you're suddenly achieving it. Like you don't care that you're too thin. Like that's a good thing. You want to be too thin. Today, my guest is Alex Light. Alex Light is a body confidence, self acceptance, and lifestyle influencer from London. After struggling from various eating disorders, Alex's virtual platform transformed from a beauty and fashion blog into a glimpse into her personal struggles. Throughout her journey on social media, Alex has gained an expansive insight into the reality behind eating disorders, as well as weight stigmas and diet culture. After a long recovery, Alex is dedicated to providing a safe space for anyone in the grips of an eating disorder or bad body image and has written a Sunday Times bestselling book, You Are Not a Before Picture, and co-hosts the podcast Should I Delete That? I'm thrilled to have Alex here because I have had my own personal battles with eating disorders and body images, as well as my daughter. So this is something that is close to my own heart and I know many of my followers and mum parenting friends that I have who are going through things with their daughters. This is hopefully going to be a chat that people might get a little bit of insight out of, resonate with and find a little bit inspiring. So welcome to the podcast, Alex. Hi, thank you for that lovely intro. And I'm so sorry to hear that about you and your daughter. I'm really sorry. I know how tough it can be especially as a parent as well. Yeah, I think it's actually not as uncommon as we think. I know you're very open about your story. I would love for you to share with my listeners about your story and how you've got to where you are today, Alex. Yeah, for sure. So my history with food, uh, well, with disordered eating and and unhealthy eating patterns really goes back a a very very long way probably since the moment I realized that what I consume manipulate could manipulate how my body looked and I was aware from a very very young age that um my body didn't seem to fit the ideal which I'm saying in air quotes you know I was I was always a, a chubby a kid I was always chubby as a kid um I was never fat and I have never been fat I think it's important to to um state that but I I wasn't as thin as my peers and I certainly as soon as I became aware of my body I became aware of the fact that it didn't look how it was supposed to look I was supposed to be thinner and so I did I started with diets and I did 
truly can sit here and say that I have done every diet under the sun, apart from the ones that have come up over the past few years, but absolutely every diet known to man. And that was all throughout um, secondary school, a little bit before that in primary school. And then secondary school was just taken up by dieting um, with, you know, dieting with various uh, different with varying results uh, but usually I would lose some weight and then put back on the weight and then often often I put on more weight which is part of the diet cycle and eventually and I'm I'm not entirely sure I've never really been able to put my finger on what happened but um, I started it in a job as a journalist and in fashion journalism and then suddenly became immersed in a world of fashion celebrity where thinness was glorified even more than it is in our you know in our culture in our society and it's fatness is really vilified and to be avoided at all costs in in that industry fashion and celebrity industry and something inside my head kind of clicked for lack of a better expression because that sounds positive but my mindset shifted and I started eating less and less and rather than dieting I was able to just eat less and less and less until things became really bad and I became really ill and I had to seek professional help um, for eating disorders and that was the start of my recovery which is which has taken a really long time and that's something that I always mention I always think it's important to mention and important to discuss is that you know, recovery, I think so often we see it as this thing that's like once you admit you have a problem and you get help, they're like, bam, you're there, you've recovered, you know, you've got your help and you're fine. And it just wasn't the case for me. It took me a really, really long time to get to a place where I was I, I was able to free myself of disordered eating. And so while I was doing this, so, so I mean, while I, while I was in the thick of my eating disorder, I started, an, uh, as you said in my intro, a, uh, a fashion and beauty platform on Instagram. And I got, I got a following. I had about 40,000 followers and I was sharing content that was really aspirational and, and very uh, edited and curated. And I would edit my body in all the photos. I would like nip in my waist and thin my legs and edit out any signs of skin of like human skin and give myself a double chin and I had this platform and I was putting this content out and when I started with recovery and started to learn about diet culture which initially I was like what's that that sounds made up by you know these people that are trying to make me better you know that's not a real thing but the more they that planted a seed and the more I began to learn about diet culture the more I always use the word like galvanized into action I, I felt myself become and I realized that what I was doing and what I was putting out into the world was at odds with what was going on behind the scenes and also was at odds with what I was now starting to with my newly formed beliefs you know I felt when I was learning about diet culture I felt really angry that it was this this system the system of beliefs that basically were in place to line the pockets of the diet industry and line the pockets of a lot of people, usually men, right? So I decided to transform my platform, which was not easy, which was really difficult, but I was determined and it started up like I just, I dipped my toe in. It was all very gradual. I started to talk about my eating disorder, like my struggles with weight throughout my life, because I think prior to that, I had just been, I, I was just 
showing the very thin woman and everyone would say, oh, you look amazing, what's your secret? You're my thin inspiration. And it was actually quite cool to say, like, actually, that might be what you think of me, but there is a hell of a story behind this and it's not a good story and this is not a weight that I'm actually supposed to be at. And it just went from there then. My platform just grew from there and everything I talked about and it was really... Uh, organic and felt really like it, it really fit with what I was with yeah the 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 new beliefs that I was forming and and what I wanted to do and I felt like I had wasted so much time with my disordered eating and my eating disorder and because as anyone knows who's been through an eating disorder or just a chronic dieter will know that the amount of time and energy and headspace it zaps from you and I felt like I had wasted so much time but then being able to speak about it and maybe help bring attention to it and awareness to it and st- and help anyone who was in a similar situation to what I to where I had been made me feel like that time wasted had 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 kind of been worth it that it wasn't wasted i mean firstly immensely brave i think the big takeaway from that for me is the bravery in the journey that you've been through and the shift into feeling confident in sharing that me personally i i was hugely influenced obviously like yourself i'm i'm 47 i don't know how old you are alex but back then it was thin culture and i was brought up around my mother always on some kind of diet i was probably around 16 17 when my own personal you know eating disorders started developing it sounds like yours was developing at an even younger age than than that I'd love to know, how did your family respond? Because I know from being a mother, I've been through it myself, but I've also seen my daughter go going through it. And I suppose I came at it from, I have some experience of, of, of my own journey. So I possibly felt maybe a little bit naively that I should be better place to support my daughter how did your family because it's a very visible thing you can't really hide it for that long from family members how did they deal with that I I, my family knew that I'd been on a diet since forever so initially it was like cool oh my god it's working and like you're getting thin and this is great and you're losing weight and I say this with absolutely no judgment on them because they didn't like until you know something you don't know it you know and we're all victims of this culture that we've been brought up in and and of this societal conditioning so there's no judgment on them but I guess for a long time it just felt like oh it's you know she's like achieving something she really wanted to achieve and then all of a sudden it kind of slipped into "Hmm, this is starting to get into more worrying territory now but as anyone will know who's been in the grip of an eating disorder when people tell you that you look too thin it's a compliment it feels like a compliment, you know, it's not like it might, it's probably not intended as a compliment, but that's how you take it because you've been desperate for thinness above all else. And you're suddenly achieving it. Like you don't care that you're too thin. Like that's a good thing. You want to be too thin. You know, I, I, I hope this isn't like too triggering to say all of this and I'm sure you will put a trigger warning at the top of this episode, but 
yeah, I, I just, I didn't really take any notice. I was like, I'm too thin, thank you. And it was only when things, I guess, got really bad and it was it was very noticeable that I, the way I was approaching food was extremely unhealthy. Then my mum just sat me down and said, I'm taking you to see someone, we need to get some help. And actually I was, I feel like I was so, I was in such a bad way. I felt so broken down by the eating disorder that I just accepted the help. And I said, okay, thank you, because I can't carry on like this. And it was like a huge moment of relief because I'd never, ever talked. I'd been so secretive and felt so much shame around what I had been experiencing that I had never, ever spoken to anyone about it. So it felt like, you know, the problem shared is a problem halved. It really felt like that. And it felt like it's in someone, I've got support isn't it? and it's in someone else's hands now. And that felt really just like a huge relief. But the education around eating disorders is very low and the funds for it are very low. So it's not like there's a, it's it not, it's not like there's a definitive treatment plan or answer or like it, we're going to get you, like you have to, unfortunately, you have to have money in order to be able to afford. You know, I, I was lucky that I had private medical insurance through my work, but a lot of people just don't have access to eating disorder services, which is really scary. So I think, so my personal experience, um, I know you touched on this as well. Actually, you don't get hungry. When my my eating disorder manifested, it was very controlled. So I was still eating, but it was very controlled. And I don't think I've, you know, mentioned this openly before, but I would eat uh, jars of baby food because I figured if that's been nutritionally created as a meal for a baby then there's just the essentials that I'm going to need in that jar and that would be a dinner for me my family didn't know what was going on but I do remember getting to a point of opening up to my father because it becomes all-consuming it's actually where my interest in nutrition came from because you get so savvy at reading the packs, what's in a product, the fat, the this, the that, the calories. So interesting, that's now where, that's almost where some of that nutritional knowledge started from. I personally didn't seek professional help. I actually, I actually had some support from my, I suppose my father, he taught me some holistic methods and he didn't like to label so he was like, kid, it's just a phase you're going through. He was very pragmatic and just not being labelled and being told it is a phase. And there was just, I, I felt supported by his strength. I don't know how else to explain that. But I do find that it's something that I don't think ever fully leaves you in your life. I think there's an element that it's just somewhere in the back of your mind somewhere and so my daughter she is good she's she's good she's healthy um but I was horrified to see it playing out in her as well and I remember as a parent going through okay so I'll I'll discuss it and then oh god that was wrong I won't <laughs> so then you try something else and then you don't want to talk about food at the table because it's a sticking point and then you feel like 
literally grabbing them by the shoulders and say, look, you are literally killing yourself. I can see you disappearing before my eyes. And that doesn't help. So, you know, what possibly worked for me wasn't wasn't the answer of my daughter. And I think that's a really important point with people who are struggling with eating disorders of, of whatever type. And you mentioned about the medical support. And I have numerous mum friends who their daughters are so immensely ill with eating disorders and there isn't whatever support is there it's not working it's not right I think there really needs to be a shake-up of how we're supporting these young adults with their confidence and body issues and and everything else so I don't know I'm figuring with your platform Alex you're you're in a good position to hopefully kind of you know push some change that's a nice segue because you were recently earlier this year uh, house of commons yes tell me about that yes uh, so yes i gave evidence to the inquiry around body image and how the government can work to improve body image so this statistic uh, found that the average teaching and assessment time on eating disorders in undergraduate courses amounts to just 1.8 hours and one in five medical schools do not offer any training on eating disorders at all which is horrifying given how given firstly given how commonplace eating disorders are and secondly given the fact that anorexia nervosa is the highest has the highest mortality rate of all psychiatric disorders so that's very very scary they need real help and even disordered eating which you know people say oh you know but it's it's only if if it impacts your life that it really needs help but disordered eating hugely impacts people's lives and being a chronic dieter and flitting from one diet to the next can be it's just it it can be debilitating really to our lives and so yeah so so basically that's the evidence I gave and I, I said I was very lucky to have access to have had access to help but not just that but to sustained help because six sessions of CBT like I mean yes I I really would like to think that it will help but for many people, it's not going to be enough. For me, it certainly wasn't enough. It felt like my issues were so deep-rooted that it's it took, I mean, it's taken years for me to unpick them. And then education in schools is something that I really fought for as well. I think also, if I'm thinking about my daughter's situation, and she's, I've actually done an Instagram Live with my daughter. She's now 23 and she is she's quite open about all these conversations. I actually feel that there was an element that there's a there's still a coolness about being thin and being cool. And I think sometimes with a group of girls, it can be a phase they go through. And just the occasional one in a group, it will grab hold of, and it becomes, you know, a problem. And from experience, the medical profession at the moment, they're offering these young girls antidepressants as part of the fix because there obviously isn't the other support out there and as a GP they're probably thinking oh oh god I've got to do something and then that is unfortunately setting that young person up for a lifelong you know potentially on on drugs that actually they probably don't need they need different different kind of support I would love to ask do you feel fixed do you know that's an interesting question I don't actually think I've been asked that before um I suppose that relies on our definition of, of fixed, I suppose. I mean, I think 
my goal always used to be that, you know, I would see posts on Instagram and self-love and people loving their bodies. And I thought that I had to get to a place where I loved my body. And that I, I shifted the goalposts there to body neutrality, which was very hugely helpful for me so rather than working towards a goal of body love just working towards a goal of body neutrality and I really do believe that that is where I where I sit most of the time in that I feel like I've made peace with my body and I'm comfortable in the skin I'm in you know I obviously still have I still have days where I don't like how I look and I do I do find that when other things aren't quite right in my life that it's body and food that I that that becomes my 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 go-to really in terms of unhealthiness I don't know if there will be times where I relapse and you know in my life I'd like to think that there won't be but I also don't want to put the pressure on myself to say to say that I know that there will never be any because I learned that through recovery from bulimia as well I would I would go for, I would say, right, I've done a week without purging, um, two weeks without purging and had these goals I was setting for myself. And then as I failed to meet these goals or I'd have a lapse or or what felt like a relapse, it would take me right back down to square one. Whereas when I took the pressure off myself, it felt just much more manageable. So I guess that's how I like to see it rather than you know, rather than like, yes, I feel completely fixed, but, but I feel in a place where this, this is how I, okay, sorry, I'm on a tangent, but I feel like I'm in a place now where food and how I look doesn't impact my life. And that is bliss, blissful for me after a lifetime of just being obsessed with how my body looks, what weight I am, the food I'm eating, that feels like freeing and liberating and just wonderful. So in that sense, yeah, I guess so. Good. Yeah. Do you do you think you feel fixed? Yeah, so interesting. As I was asking you that, I was I was kind of considering that question for myself. And I eat a broad diet. I've got, you know, I, I eat what I want to. I've definitely found as I've aged and become menopausal, my body has dramatically changed. And I'm struggling with those changes that are now taking place and it's not that I'm changing my diet at all but it's just another and I know I'm not the only woman you know whether you've previously had an eating disorder or not that at a certain age in your life it's like oh god what's happening (laughs) you know the body is it's almost a body that you don't recognize anymore and like you said fixed isn't an end point I think you did a a brilliant post, I don't know how many weeks ago it was on your Instagram, and you shared photos of women through the ages and how the women's physique has been so criticised and also how much it's changed as to what the ideal is. You know, back to, I think, the 1900s when it was the tiny, tiny Simpson waist to Twiggy, um, the slightly more Amazonian of the 80s, and now we've obviously got the Kim Kardashian. Have we ever, have we got one of those for men's bodies? It does not exist. They, they haven't, they haven't been scrutinised like that, um, which even stopping and reflecting, it's like, that's bloody crazy. Yeah. 
I know. It's so crazy, isn't it? I know this always strikes me is that there is, I mean, you, you can, there's some things that you can track, you know, like the dad bod has become a bit more popular in the past however many years and you know at a certain point it was better to be more ripped but essentially and this is the thing that it boils down to is that in the society that we're in a woman's value lies with how she looks whereas a man's value lies with his power and the fact that for women our value lies with with how we look is a great tool for keeping men on top because it keeps us, you know, body image concerns, keeps us busy, takes up our money. It keeps us quiet and it keeps us obedient because we all know how difficult it is to try and to, to, to lose weight and to make ourselves thin. It's really difficult to change your natural body shape. It requires a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of headspace, just capacity in general. So it's, it's so interesting as how, you know, as humans, how difficult we find it to engage critically or to engage critical thinking we kind of just go along with things right because until my therapist said to me diet culture this exists and it's not innate you're wanting to be thin your desire to be thin and I was like yeah it is I was just born wanting to be thin all women are it's just a thing and she was like no it's not if you look at different cultures in Africa it's more desirable to be bigger I would never ever have questioned it or challenged it and that's the case for so many of us we just go along thinking like oh it's a women's place to be thin and look pretty and it's a man's place to hold down the fort and provide the money and and you know hold the power Choosing the best skincare for your skin can be a minefield. There are so many high street brands promising the best results, the latest ingredients you need to be using, that magic product that will transform your skin. It can feel totally overwhelming. I know this because I've been in the skincare industry for over 20 years and heard this many times from thousands of people just like you. Which is why I have launched Abigail's Atelier, your online clinical skincare shop. This is your space to access professional ranges tried and tested by an expert. You will only find products and brands I personally know and trust. There are easy search options to enable you to refine your main concerns to make the shopping experience a little simpler. You could also book a virtual consultation to talk through your skin and health concerns to get you on the right track with a personalised skin scription. To help start you on your better skin journey, use the code GLOW10 for 10% off your first order. You can find the shop on abigailjames.com. So, do you feel... And I'm not sure what my answer is to this question. If we look at those changing women's physiques and the ideals, do you actually think they're driven by men or women? It's interesting because whenever I talk about this, I often have just comments from people saying, you know, but beauty standards are upheld by women. And while that might feel like it's the case, it actually all boils down to the patriarchy because beauty standards allows the patriarchy to thrive so while it might feel that it's women that are in control with this yes they might yes 
they are part of the system too, obviously. And so they do have a part in upholding the beauty standards, but they originate from the patriarchy and they benefit the patriarchy. They do not benefit women in any way. So I think that's really important to note. I don't think it's healthy or it's or it's productive to blame women in this instant. I, in this instance, I, I feel like the attention has to be on where does this originate? Who is it benefiting? And then why is it thriving because of the patriarchy? And if we're talking about body image, this $192.2 billion industry that is largely run by men. And that's really scary. Mm. So... I found myself back in the dating pool in my adult life. And uh, so I'm a single parent of three kids, uh, you know, for years. And I was doing the online dating. And obviously with that, it's very much here's your photos on the app and, you know, choosing other people on, on looks and image and stuff. And I was very aware that obviously that is you're choosing someone on how they look. And I definitely, I was just kind of going down that little bit of a rabbit hole. That could be a whole, to be honest, whole podcast in itself, the whole dating online stuff. I have a lovely part. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but I remember this, partic- <laughs> this particular man. I was going to say gentleman, but I'm going to go with man <laughs> that I, I did go on a few dates with. And he was older than me. And um, I remember, I think we were, you know, having a giggle over each other's photos. And he commented, well, honey, I think you look a little bit heavy on the bottom half in that photo. Outrageous. Outrageous. (gasps) Yes. I was just like, wow, I, I really don't know how to respond to that. You know, I think I just sucked it up and just ignored it. And... But I mean, even now, I'm recalling it to you now, and this is probably like four or five years ago. But those comments stay with people. And to that person, it's a flippant. And then suddenly, you know, you go down that rabbit hole of, oh, my goodness, look at, you know, when you're looking at other photos. and But maybe that's a generational thing because he was an older man. But also, how bloody rude. How are you <laughs> saying those kind of things? to a woman but I don't know whether it's trying that is so rude isn't it I mean I laugh it's funny I now find it funny yeah it's outrageous and the thing is like yes it yes he's probably from a generation that you know women had to be thin and you you know uh, and in probably for him as well women shouldn't have like big bums or big thighs whereas now the beauty standard is you need you you need to have big bum a big bum and big thighs it used to be like oh god does my bum look big in this and now it's like does my bum look big enough in this you know however that does not excuse in any way that man reaching out to you to comment on your appearance you're a better woman than I am for not responding because I would have seen red (laughs) because the absolute audacity of him to think that you owe him looking a certain way you don't owe him or any man anything I would like to jump back to your shift on your social media because you were doing fashion and beauty and you made the conscious shift into sharing more about your your experiences and, and the body positivity and that side of things. 
that is immensely brave to do. And with Instagram and social media, I'm guessing at that time still being, it needs to be the perfect image and the lighting and the angle. Did you feel that was a risk for you? I would love to know just while you were in that shift, what what was going on for you? Yes, it felt terrifying. It felt terrifying, I think, because I'd, I'd previously held so much shame around my issues with weight, so much shame. And a, a big part of that is the stigma around eating disorders and the, the false narrative that it's a vanity issue, which it isn't at all. But I thought that it was. I, I'd bought into that narrative and I thought, well, it's just me being, re- I'm just really vain. And that felt very shameful. And I was terrified to make that shift. And it actually turns out, I mean, ultimately it's worked out well, but at the time it turns out that I, I, I had right to be scared to make that shift because I lost contracts with brands I've been working with who wanted that aspira- aspirational curated content. They didn't want my more accessible, uh, authentic content that no longer aligned with them. That's what most of them said. <laughs> um, now they would be mortified because there's been this huge shift towards authenticity and uh, diversity and inclusivity and making sure that everyone feels involved. But back, I mean, this was like five years ago, so not even that long ago. And that's the reaction that a lot of brands took to my my shift. So I did have reason, turns out, to be scared. But what spurred me on was, in spite of that, the reaction from the people that followed me was huge. And I had previously felt like I was the only person in the world that was experiencing what I was experiencing. I'd heard a little bit about eating disorders through like you know one or two documentaries that I'd heard of in my time and I I'd like googled some stuff but they just didn't feel like there was much access to it and I just felt so alone that I was just like completely alone in the world with this and as soon as I started talking about it and I got this just influx of messages a lot of messages from people that I knew as well I'd known but I just had never known that they were going through this and they hadn't known about me either because there was just so much shame and secrecy around this and the response was so overwhelming and huge that I was like I know I'm going in the right direction here I know that this is right and I know that there's real substance to this and and not that there wasn't substance to to what I was doing before it just felt for me like something was missing and then when I made this shift this felt like I'm really feeling passionate I'm feeling passionate about this and this is exciting to me and I want to see what change I can make in this area. I'm I'm getting the vibe that there's possibly just a feeling for you of more ease in being your authentic self. Because it's hard to pretend to be someone else and to be something you're not, isn't it? It's really difficult. It's time consuming and fighting your reality, which is what I was doing with trying to be thin. I was constantly trying to fight my reality, fight my DNA, my genetics, like fight what I was supposed to be. And that's really difficult. And it takes up a lot of your time. And at the end of the day, that's what you're doing is you're just fighting your reality. And that's really painful and unproductive. So, yeah, it feels wonderful to like be yourself exactly who you are and lean into that and not be apologetic about that and be okay with it I'm again I'm not saying that you have to love it and like love yourself completely but to be okay with it and to be at peace with who you are like that's really powerful and you've shared about some of the positivity that you've 
had from people with that shift that you made. I'm presuming you might have also experienced some negativity online. How do you overcome that or deal with that? This one's tough. This one's tough. And I feel like it's something that I'm still dealing with, but not in not from a body sense. So like, when I first started doing this stuff, and I first started showing my body and people would say, you know, just get the, the classic, like, you're overweight, you need to lose 10 pounds, you know, you would be so much prettier if you lost weight. And at the time, those comments crushed me because it felt like they were they were echoing the the voice of my eating disorder, you know? It felt like I knew it. I knew it. Everything that I once felt and I've overcome, actually, I was right and they're right and that's that's true. I do need to lose this and I am overweight and this. And this. So that, a lot of that triggered me initially. It, it really did trigger me and it kind of set me back in my recovery. And then I started to grow a thick skin to it and I started to develop like just a fuck it and fuck you attitude towards it and being like how dare you and who are you to say and what is overweight I really really worked on that and my account grew rapidly over the pandemic so I was kind of fast-tracked in that sense I had to develop a quick skin in a really short amount of time and it was intense but I feel like now there isn't much that people can say to me about my physical appearance that's actually going to bother me um, I'm sure you'll have experienced stuff too. And it's really, it's just brutal, but it's kind of the world that we're we're living in. It is. And I think also everybody feels like they have a right to have an opinion and voice their opinion, um, which has its positivities. But then obviously there's people that are, you know, voicing opinions that probably aren't that kind or just. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we've very much talked about body image and a lot of what I do is skin and aging and that is a whole other aspect of almost loads of the issues that we've talked about um you know especially again with women that women are judged on how they age compared to men how do you feel about the aging process this is interesting and something that I actually hadn't thought about much till recently because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 34. So it's never been, you know, something that's been at the forefront of my mind. Uh, but my friend who you'll, I'm sure you'll know as well, Nadine Baggett, um, I, I actually, I had a discussion with her at length about, um, about aging and, and age positivity and, and how, you know, because I love skincare. I love beauty. It's it's like one of my biggest passions. I was a beauty journalist for years and I still adore it. I love it. And then we were talking about how to reconcile working within an industry that is so, well, it's, I mean, it's very fat phobic and it's also very ageist as well. Um, and, you know, for 
and because it is it is such a gendered issue as well aging for women it's such a terrible thing to age whereas for men it's very much like oh he's aging like a fine wine or he's a silver fox or you know it, they're 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 given so much grace with aging whereas women really aren't uh and it's such a shame because it's such a privilege and an honor to age you know we all age it's actually a privilege to age and it's the one sure thing that unites us all around the world and i know i'm in the industry of making people feel and look good and younger that's part of you know with my my facial treatments and my clinic that is part of my job but i also feel that the conversation around positive aging and just having a little bit more confidence in as how women age is so essential you know a, a face that has wrinkles and is confident is just as beautiful if not more so than a face that has had lots and lots of work done you mentioned your love of beauty i've not i've not preempted you to to have a list of products so this might just be what's kind of you know uh, on your dressing table at the moment kind of thing but any desert island skincare or beauty products that you, you just couldn't survive without yes loads loads and loads and loads <laughs> um oh okay okay my my favorites i don't want to start okay so CeraVe cleanser hydrating cleanser one of my absolute favorites Estee Lauder advanced night repair I love mm. always have and La Roche-Posay Anthelios the fact 50 and then dry shampoo the living proof dry shampoo it cosmetics superhero mascara I do love the Chanel you know tan de soleil that big that big gorgeous cream bronzer I do love that yeah, I reckon they're my like top ones. The Living Proof Dry Shampoo, awesome. Uh, the It Cosmetics, absolutely. The mascara. So you've picked out a few of my favourites as well. Yeah, any favourite lipsticks? Okay, do you know my my favourite ever lipsticks are the quite random and they, you know the Bourgeois. Do you remember that you know the the brand that did the lip velvet? the lip velvet lipsticks my ultimate favorite obviously that it was the brand left the uk but it's coming back really soon which i'm so excited about because they are my favorite lip products ever i love them the lip velvets they're beautiful like soft and buttery and they smell so good as well so i'm really excited about that but i actually do love the um jones road the lip and cheek tint by jones road is really beautiful i love that in the coral shade that's really nice Right, I'm writing that down. I've not, not come across that. I would love to talk for a moment about your book. We can't not mention your book. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so, so the book was totally born out of a lack of space on Instagram for me to fully express what I needed to to help people feel better about their body because I would get DMs all the time from women saying like I want to feel better about my body I want to do the journey that you have but how and I was like that's really difficult for me to try and sum that up in a, in a response on DMs and also there is so much work that I need to do research into it because 
if I'm going to try and help people feel better about their bodies, like let's throw everything at it. Let's throw the kitchen sink at it and make sure that we've got all angles and all areas covered. So that's what the book was about. And I was, I was determined, like this is going to be the ultimate body image Bible. And I'm going to really get to the root of why we feel this way about our bodies, like why we feel bad about our bodies and, and delve into the history behind it, which was like hands down the like the most fascinating stuff research for me to do for, you know, for that. It was just so, so interesting. There's so much that has gone into it and so much that, it, that has helped it like become this industry that it is today, the diet industry. Um, and yeah that and and i it's had a really good reception which is nice and i've had so many lovely messages that say from people saying that it has uh, it has actually helped them which is literally all i can ask for so i am very very happy well i'm i'm guessing it's been read by quite a few people because it is already a sunday times bestseller isn't it yes yes that, that was very exciting i literally yeah. bought high five yeah, thank you i bought like yeah, se- yeah. seven newspapers and then got home you know seven of the sunday times got home and i was like i didn't need to buy seven so i have this big stack of newspapers um but yeah it was really exciting <laughs> so tell me what is next for alex light do you know what? I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and keep chipping away at the diet industry, at the diet culture and at beauty standards. And I just want to help. And I and I do know that this sounds really like, I don't know what the word is, but I cringe at myself saying this, but I genuinely do want to help as many women specifically as I possibly can feel better about my body, about their bodies. And I feel like that is a job of like what, could I ask for like what better job satisfaction could I ask for so that's the idea to just keep keep doing that I suppose and like yeah chipping away and helping us free ourselves from the the you know the prison of what so many of us and so many generations of us women have faced for for so long. Alex you are you are such a needed voice Oh, in you. the world you know on the social media platforms you 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 really are and um this has been an absolute joy oh. i would love for you to share where my listeners can find you yes so i am on instagram at alex light underscore ldn and thank you so much for having me on and honestly it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you and thank you for your vulnerability as well and like opening up about your history I'm sure it will be like so valuable to so many of the people that that follow you and listen to this so that was really cool yeah thank you well thank you so much for everybody listening thank you so much for listening to knowing me glowing you I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did If you'd like to learn a little more about what I do, you can always pop over to my website, abigailjames.com, where you can stay up to date with everything I'm up to. If you're into your skincare and well-being, I think you are really going to enjoy my latest book, The Glow Plan. It's a four-week plan to ageing well from the inside and out. If you enjoyed today's episode, it's really appreciated if you would subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode might have given a moment of welcome distraction from your day and offered a glimmer of inspiration and happiness.